Welcome to the MFA Made for Agriculture podcast. Here are your hosts, Adam Jones and Cameron Horine. All right, folks, welcome to another episode of the Made for Agriculture podcast. My name is Adam Jones. And I'm Cameron Horine. And we're back today uh, discussing kind of a our last episode, and hopefully you tune back and, and listen to that when we kind of covered 2022, kind of a year in review. Uh, one of the big aspects of that, and I can't remember, honestly, if we touched on it or not, Cameron, but was some of the, I think we did talk about the lack of disease pressure that we had in 2022. Yep. Uh, the one sort of exception to that, and it, it wasn't a heavy pressure, but we were finding uh, a new disease around, uh, tar spot in some of our corn. New to Missouri, certainly not a new disease to, to North America or anything, but but we wanted to, to jump back on here, uh, get some different experts in the room and, and kind of really take a deep dive into this disease, kind of what it means for the future of, of corn production across our trade territory. So I feel like we have the best folks in the room to get that done today. Kevin, you want to go ahead and give us an introduction? Yeah, I'm Kevin Moore. I'm a senior staff agronomist for Retail North with MFA. So I cover all of our locations along Highway 36 and North. We've also got Jared Roskamp with BASF in the room. So, Jared, you want to give us a, an introduction? Yeah, hello, everyone. Uh, Jared Roskamp here. I'm the tech service rep that covers all of Missouri for BASF. I've uh, been in this role for about 10 years, and so uh, happy to be in here today. Yeah, I appreciate both of you guys being here, taking time to, to, to come in and, and kind of get into this. So, I guess the first thing we ought to, we ought to sort of address um, would be hopefully folks have kind of heard of tar spot, but um, typically kind of a, a later in the season disease of corn. But you guys just want to kind of give us a 30,000 foot view or for somebody who may not be super familiar with, with tar spot. Uh, sure. Well, so with this, with this being uh, fairly new to Missouri and actually new to me, uh, this is the first year that I have seen it with my own eyes and it's, Kind of, kind of expected, but also kind of alarming. It's uh, just uh, late into the season how uh, how fast this um, disease will spread through a cornfield. Mm-hmm. Um, Jer- I'll let uh, Jared talk a little more about that. He's he's dealt with it face to face for um, several years now. So, so what's it look like out there, Kevin? Like if you're looking for for tarps, but like say somebody maybe listens to this i mean it's still on the plant right as it as it fully matures like what what are we looking yes for? so we're, we're looking at a at a black speck and one one thing about it if you if you, there's there are other things that will make a black spot on a corn plant but with tar spot if you just take and scratch it with your fingernail it will not come off and so that is usually uh, going to be a pretty good sign that it's tar spot there's um Insect poop, um, other kind of molds, um, a lot of other, a lot of other things that are do have that black color that could be uh, misidentified. But typically, scratching with your fingernail, everything else is going to come off. The tar spot will not, and you've got to scratch pretty darn hard to peel one of those lesions off. Um, yeah, so no, no, Kevin, that, that was a great description of, of, of kind of the disease. Jared, do you want to add anything? I, as far I would as just as say it? once you see it, it's very unique. I, I think that's what Kevin was saying. It, it, it really makes a, a bump. You know, it has a raised lesion in there. It is very unique. It's got pretty defined edges as well. So like you said, there's a lot of other things that could look like that or maybe could be mistaken for tar spot. But in the end, once you see it, you'll remember it forever. It's a very unique spot, and it's something that we're going to continue to see more and more often. Yeah, so a, a fairly small lesion when it when it appears. So what's it actually do to the plant? 
So initially, once it gets in there and infects, it's going to start, it's an uh, obligate biotroph, which means it's going to start robbing a live plant, right? It's not going to go on dead and decayed tissue. It really needs weakening plant tissue, and it's going to start robbing nutrients out of that plant. Um, and it's actually a pretty quick producer. So it may start off as like a ballpoint pen uh, size lesion, but then it becomes pretty rapid and it, it takes over that plant pretty quickly. Similar to the way we've seen Southern Rust uh, for anybody that's had that, right? It starts off with a few and then it just blows up very quickly. And then once it gets enough of that on there, it can actually shut the plant down. It can actually rob enough of that and create a, enough of a toxin within that plant that we can see premature death in, in really severe cases. Okay. Okay. So I think we've got a reasonable description of, of the disease there. What, like, what's the history of this thing? Like, where did it come from? Like, new to Missouri, you know, I don't think it's been necessarily new to the Midwest, or at least it's been around for a few years, but... Um, and South South and Central America, correct? So, and, and Jared, if I understand it right, in, in the Southern Hemisphere, there's actually two pathogens, correct? Yeah, so they've, they've had tar spot, but down there in the Central America range, it really needs another pathogen with it. And so they, they have uh, what they call the tar spot complex, where when you get both of those diseases together, that's when it became economically an issue. But tar spot by itself in Central America was really uh, not a factor until it made that complex. Um, the stuff we're dealing with up here, which is the same... Uh, disease or same pathogen that creates tar spot does act a little bit differently than what they saw in Central America. Um, we can see it on its own be pretty devastating, but really it does something very similar when it merges with something. Um, I don't believe our pathologists are calling it a complex yet because it can merge with multiple diseases to some level, but really the way I look at it, it's just like icing on the cake. The tar spot takes something like gray leaf spot and makes it worse. Because um, okay. tar spot on its own, when it gets enough pressure, it can be bad. But most typically when we've seen these issues, it's trying to do what we saw in Central America, Kevin, is it's really trying to play off of that weakness in the plant or, or another disease, and that's when it amplifies this issue. Yeah. So where did it first show up kind of in the in, in the Northern Hemisphere or in, in the U.S.? We saw it come into Wisconsin, uh, Northern Illinois area first. About 2015 was when it was first discovered there. Um, and if you really look at the timeline as we've moved through this, in 16 and 17, it didn't really take off broadly. Um, it was there, and probably what we believe is it was making uh, inoculant. It's just starting to build that inoculant level up, and then when we hit 18, um, we had the right weather, and then it went kaboom. And you watch these maps uh, really feather out. So we watched it go into Indiana, Ohio, uh, Michigan, and kind of teared back off to the east. And, and now we're starting to march it to the west here as we've gotten into 19, 20, and then even into 22. Um, it's starting to really broaden its spectrum out all the way down even into Florida and Georgia. So yeah. we, we've got it pretty well anywhere you can grow corn. I think we're always going to be susceptible um, to some extent. So yeah. so kind of on that, you know, how how is it overwintering or how is it surviving the climates? You know, we think about southern rust. Southern rust is not overwintering here, right? It has to blow in from the south. And so that's why we didn't really see it this year, especially a lot of our trade territory, because we were dry in the south. And so it didn't blow in with the climate and stuff. So how's, how's it kind of different from that aspect? Yeah, so so we can we can see it uh, overwinter survive on on corn residue, but we can also see it blow in. Um, actually, the first field that um, we is MFA that MF uh, that MFA's crop track program found it in was a, a corn field that was previously CRP and had not seen corn to for all for all we knew may not ever had corn on it. Um, if it had, it had been several years and it was yeah. found just right at a field entrance. So it had, whether, whether a vehicle had 
there might have been some spores on a vehicle that it picked up and yeah. and uh, uh, kind of moved along to our area. Um, that's that's a possibility. But and then we'll notice um, where those lesions are if they're uh, if we're finding it in a field for the first time. If it's high on a corn plant, it, it probably came in from elsewhere. But um, like some of our other leaf diseases, like gray leaf spot, um, where where it comes from the residue and right in the ground we'll see it on the lower leaves first so yeah i think as we move forward too and i think you bring up a good point kevin of the airborne part that's how we've seen it move in once we have it in the residue it, it's going to be endemic it's going to be a lot like great leaf spot for us is my belief because even if we rotate corn to beans our neighbors probably going to have that stover so we're going to see that airborne movement from field to field. And then when we start to see these really severe cases, it's because we've got a lot of that inoculum building up in the air. So uh, I guess to answer your question, Cameron, I think as we continue to move forward in the coming years, we should expect it to be in our residue. And then as it builds up, it's moving in the air from field to field. So just because you've never planted corn, like you said, right. we're probably going to be susceptible. Right. You know, you mentioned some of the states and, and stuff, and a couple of those were a surprise to me, but um, kind of go into the environmental factors you know, we mentioned 2018 was a big year i don't know that this year was but last year i know kind of to the east was a was a major year so what 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 are the environmental conditions that really trigger it off to be a, a major issue in a year so one of the things we we thought early on was heat so at one point they're like well this thing you know it's, it's got to be a cool cooler but you know warm temperature and that's why that northern illinois wisconsin range is like okay it's going to live up here it'll never get in the south it's what all these pathologists kind of initially thought right. as we started to learn more about this, because really, you know, it is somewhat of a new disease as compared to others in the Midwest. Right. We found that leaf wetness is probably more a factor. So anywhere we've got irrigation or lots of long periods of wet leaf wetness. So in the spring um, with that kind of 60 to 75 degree temperature ranges at night, that's really all we need to make this thing blow up. It, it, that's the kind of temperature range that it likes. So in years like 18 and 21, where it was really bad through parts of the Midwest, if you look back at the weather pattern we had in June and really early July, those were extremely humid, but moderately temperature um, driven periods. And, and if you look in this year in Iowa, the place, places that got rain that had the extra leaf moisture weren't, wasn't quite as dry at night. And that all correlates. And, and Kevin, you probably saw that. You guys had some more rain in that part of the world. Well, and, and something that, that I noticed, uh, the time frame that we were finding a lot of tar spots showing up, that there had uh, been a lot of days where there were dew on the corn leaves for uh, a good part of the morning, um, you know, even even till 11 a.m. So those those periods of time where, where we're talking about that leaf wetness, um, we certainly we certainly had that. There was enough enough dew in the on the leaves in the morning to kind of facilitate that for that disease. Yeah, that, I mean, what you just said there was why, like, I was surprised with the southern state thing because I guess that was the kind of the mantra that I'd heard in the past was, was like, oh, cool, moist, you know, it'll, it may get to North Missouri, but we'll never, you know, we'll never see it further South than there. But I guess we've already proven that wrong. So. Yeah. And, you know, we talked to the guys in Nebraska that I work with and they're like scared to death because back to irrigation, right? I think sure. anybody that's got irrigation, once we start to get tar spot inoculant, those acres are going to have to be treated with more of a delicate approach because they're going to be way more susceptible with the extra leaf wetness as we water that, that crop. You know, thinking about the time frame of when is when is it affecting the plant, right? You know, we talked about early springs, leaf leaf wetness. You know, and from that time frame, especially if it's living on the residue, that piece of it, that inoculants there a lot earlier in the spring. 
I know this is kind of new and so we're still trying to learn about it, but how, how early are we going to have to start worrying about this taking over a plant? You know, is it, is it something after pollination is done and we start to dry down or is, you know, where's that breaking point? Well, one thing to think about, um, a corn, a corn plant, any, uh, any hybrid corn is going to be very tolerant to diseases until it goes into reproduction. Absolutely. The same with, you know, gray leaf spot or tar spot, northern corn leaf blight. We don't see a whole lot of disease on uh, corn on in the vegetative stages. Now, sometimes we can see those diseases to show up before tasseling, but typically that corn is able to defend itself pretty well. But once it goes into reproduction, it lowers its defenses. It's putting its energy into put into producing that grain. So, that's when we're going to be more concerned is after after we see a field tassel and those silks starting to pop out. I totally agree. And, and that reproductive window being more under a high stress environment is when tar spot really likes to be aggressive. And so the timing then, what we've seen year over year on when it actually infects is almost always around that late time frame. Uh, historically, we haven't seen it before V8 because of those natural plant defenses. So even in years where we've had early inoculant out there, you don't really start to see that infection until we're in those kind of rapid vegetative growth phases and really more likely reproductive. And then like this year, we saw it really late reproductive and that, that was all driven by weather and inoculant buildup. Right. And so back to your point, we don't want to shift our focus too much around when to protect against this too early because it doesn't, it takes a while to get that buildup. Um, one stat that I wanted to throw out here for anybody is even though it overwinters on residue, only about two to 4% of it is viable the next year on that residue. So, it starts off at a pretty small number, but what we know about tar spot is it's a really rapid reproducer. And so it may take a little bit to get going, but once it starts to, to build that inoculant up, if the weather conditions are right, you know, that kind of helps us time that out. There, there are some models and things out there people are working on. We just don't know enough, in my opinion, to be accurate with that. Right. And, and so one of the cautions I, I throw out, because I, and maybe this is where you're, you're kind of leading me, but Wisconsin's got their tar spotter app. And I think it's a great app and it, they're tweaking it every day. But for our area, it doesn't quite apply yet. We don't have that inoculant uh, presence like they do up there. Mm -hmm. So to anybody listening, be cautious on that. I think it's a good indicator of, of the weather conditions. But in the absence of inoculant, like we're, we're in kind of the fringe areas, that's not going to be quite as accurate for our area yet. And in the end, what we're trying to do is exactly what you're asking is, when do we need to start worrying about protecting that? Do I need to be more proactive or is my normal timing of a fungicide or, or right. whatever still adequate? Yeah, yeah. One other thing before we get off kind of how it spreads, and um, I think I've heard you mention this before, but are there any other plant species that it, it can, you know, kind of persist on or, or be able to move around the landscape on, or are we just talking kind of corn only? Uh, yeah, not not that we're aware of. Um, I, I know there's there's some testing being done on some close closely related species to corn, but uh, yeah, as far as we know, it's pretty specific to, to corn. Okay, okay. And another thing I wanted to kind of go into is I think most folks are probably fairly familiar with each state kind of has their own, you know, university system that tests for diseases and whatnot. And it, it may, you know, pop up in this county and then all of a sudden pop up four counties away. That doesn't seem, can you guys kind of explain that process a little bit to us and, and mm -hmm. uh, kind of how they quantify that, how those counties get on there and, and what to think about if, if one's maybe close to you? Yeah. So uh, for, to make, to make that map, um, you know, the universities, whether it be University of Missouri or if we're in Iowa or Illinois, um, those, those state, state universities confirm that the, the disease is in that county. So for that to happen, someone has to find a suspected field with it and suspected leaves 
send those off to that university's lab and then it, it gets confirmed in the lab. They'll they'll look at the look at the actual pathogen under the microscope and say, okay, yes, this is the the tar spot pathogen. Uh, we could then it's confirmed in that county. So if there's a county with tar spot in it and nobody sends a sample off or or nobody from the university is is up there and, and sees it to to send a sample off, um, it's not going to be confirmed in that county. So uh, we do do need to try to do our part to, if, if we do have some suspected fields to take that step, it, it takes a little time, but it's really not that bad to collect some leaves, submit, submit a sample to your, to the plant clinic. Um, that that's just going to be for the benefit of everybody, but, uh, there's not anybody from the university that has time to go look at corn in every single County. And, um, so that's kind of, kind of up to us as a, as, um, advisors to our growers to, um, kind of, kind of take those steps to, uh, get the disease confirmed to get those maps accurate. Yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, I think your responsibility to, to, to get stuff sent in, but I guess we can make some interpretations, right? I mean, kind of going to the counties that it's been a couple hit on a couple of them that's been confirmed in and, and I guess, um, lead us to what you're thinking in that gray space in between. Sure. Sure. So we've had it, uh, uh, 20, uh, 21 confirmed in several counties in Northeast Missouri. Um, then confirmed again in, in Lewis County, but we know it, it was around in some other counties and to where there wasn't samples sent off, um, but that were confirmed in 2021. It, but then it's, uh, you know, been found in some new counties, Holt County, and then also Carroll County. And there's a pretty big gap in between, in sure. between all those That's counties. True. So yeah, we've got a, we've got a, it, it, it got to those fields somehow. So I would right. say there's going to be a trail, um, a trail somewhere or, or it's, uh, or maybe a minor minor occurrence uh, of it in you know in everywhere in between that just has either hasn't been found or hasn't been reported. Yeah, to add on to that, just remember as we mentioned, it's pretty airborne. So if you're in the vicinity, you know, within a couple of counties of these confirmed, or like you said, probably undocumented rings around those, you know, these this disease is pretty airborne. So once it gets going with the right environment. If you're anywhere near, I would say, northern Missouri, north of 36, you're probably looking to be in the susceptible zone moving into next right. year and then moving onward. We'll see how far south it moves. Right, right. Yeah, no, that, and that's kind of what I wanted to get to is it, it sure seems to me like basically if you're north of the Missouri River or roughly, mm-hmm. you know, in, in Missouri, that you're kind of in the zone or at least in the, you know, it got here somewhere kind of zone uh, for, for watching for this in the yeah. future. We don't do a lot of corn on corn in Missouri. I assume that's a higher risk scenario than, than what a crop rotation is. Like what, I, I mean, does that really, it doesn't, obviously it doesn't break that chain. We, we believe, so we believe there is. So one of the things is these longer term studies that pathologists are working on, we don't have a lot of results out from that. So like there's some tillage studies going on right now on, can we bury this residue? Does that slow it down? I don't know that we've got a lot of definitive answers on that, but um, logically we would believe that corn on corn would be more susceptible. And in the areas where we've seen it real bad in Northern Illinois, that's typically where we see it start. So, so yes, I think that inoculant's present in the field, but again, because of how airborne this is, I, you know, corn on corn, I think is probably going to see it sooner. Like we see gray lake spot show up sooner in those fields, mm-hmm. but I don't think it's necessarily going to increase the severity other than you started that disease cycle on those plants sooner. Okay. Okay. So, I think we're kind of ready to go down the, the treatment road here a little bit. 
you know, I feel like we've done a, a good job. And we actually talked about this a little bit on the last podcast, as far as I think most of your uh, growers looking, looking for top end yield across. I think this is fairly broad at this point, the, you know, kind of the Midwest, I, w- I would say really are, you know, we're looking at kind of that single BT fungicide application kind of disease presence or not disease presence. How do we, how does this change that outlook or kind of, you know, how does this change that thought process or should it? Well, I, I think, I think starting off, um, you know, the man, the management that, uh, we've been recommending applying that fungicide at, uh, at VT or full, full tassel is, is a good start. If, if it's, uh, a year that looks like, uh, could be very conducive to tar spot. We we may want to be looking at uh, making another application uh, two you know two weeks later, just to stretch that um, effectiveness out. But to start off with, I feel like um, just our standard management for the broad spectrum of diseases put a good uh, premium fungicide on at, at at full tassel is is a good good place to start. Yeah, and I think you brought up a great point earlier, Kevin. Remember, we're trying to protect that plant at the most crucial time. Full tassel through early grain fill, R3, R4. I mean, if we protect that window, that's really what's driving the most yield. So from from the data BSF's put together and what we've looked at and some of these heavier tar spot issues, I'm going to say even in those areas today, we do not stray very far from that V1. We may move it up a week, and we've done that with southern rust, right? If we know it's coming in or we get these early indications of heavy disease, we may adjust that, but I wouldn't change our initial plan because 90% of the time, that V1 timing is a good pay. It's a good ROI, and it's the right time to protect that window. Again, will we need to shuffle some things in, in a, on occasion? Yeah, I think so. And, and as we learn more about this disease, maybe we'll be able to help predict that and, and shift some of that around. My fear is for, for some of the guys that may want to just you know jump over the top, I'm going to do two passes because I got this thing in my area. They're going to find that that's a lot harder to pencil out. Because without disease, two passes is not quite as good on paper as one pass. Right, right. So in reality, the one pass is where I'm striving for people to go, especially in this early window. You couldn't have said it better, Kevin. I, as we move forward, don't don't stray from your plan. If anything, if you're not doing something at all, if you're not treating, this disease will probably make you treat based on its severity. And I think that's probably the bigger change I would I would say. Yeah, typically, typically has been more of a yield robber than what you know, gray leaf spot and some of those other kind of background diseases that we're used to having around kind of have been. Sure. And, and to what uh, Jared had mentioned earlier, it, it seems to enhance um, other diseases that are out there. It, it does like um, to hit on an already damaged tissue. Um, so it, it, in combination with other, other diseases is when it, uh, when it gets really aggressive. Yeah. So um, how do you determine then, uh, Kevin, whether when you're going in, we got a plan for VT or R1, how do we know if we need to be kind of in front of that or if we need to make that second, second application? Uh, well, we really need to be uh, paying attention to what's, what's happening around us. Um, if, we, if we're already seeing the disease, um, maybe we want to kind of go, go a little earlier. If we, if we haven't seen it yet, um, you know, we could, could uh, go a little later, but I, I kind of, I'm kind of hesitant to uh, kind of hold off too long because we do we do um, run into issues getting um, getting airplanes lined up and and that kind of thing and a lot of times um, our fungicides getting uh, put on the kind of the late end anyways in most cases as as uh, orders are coming in and 
you never know what the weather's going to do. What, you know, there could be days that just we just can't fly an airplane. So we we really need to be on top of it and 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 kind of plan for that early side just to give us a little bit of little bit of uh, room there in case in case it takes a little longer than we hope to get those products applied. So scouting, like if I've got a field that's never had tar spot before, like uh, where should I look? Where should I look for tar spot? So is so if it's never if you if it's never had it before, you know we can and we want to be prepared for maybe having had it before and, and not not noticing it. Mm-hmm. Um, so if if there's a inoculant in that field, we'll probably be looking at at lower leaves. If but if we're if it's wind blown, it's probably going to be found on higher higher leaves if it's coming from elsewhere. So we really need, regardless, we really need to be looking at the entire plant. Um, now, where those lesions uh, first appear is going to tell us did we did we have it here before, or or, or we or we didn't. This is this is new to this farm, um, but uh, in a lot of cases, where with it being fairly new to this area, we probably probably a good chance we didn't have it before. We'll be kind of looking looking higher on that plant to work. And that's going to, where it's going to be easier to find when it's at eye level anyways. Sure, sure. I think you guys have a great advantage with your scouting programs because that truly is the first line of defense, especially in these early regions where we're not, we haven't seen tar spot, but you guys are going to see it come in and your field for the first time, identifying that and getting ahead of it. One thing I want to mention is remember this disease has got a longer latent period on it. So it's, it's going to be infected and before you see that lesion, it's going to be about 14 days. So the importance of scouting is once you see those first lesions, if knowing how the disease likes to develop in wet, moist conditions and kind of cooler temps, if we've got that plus some lesions, your scouting program allows you guys to to jump on that and be proactive and and maybe adjust that timing of that fungicide if needed. Um, The other thing I'll say and I'll add on is if you guys are seeing early disease development of gray leaf spot and then you know there's tar spot in one of those rings or areas, probably a good indicator you might want to be more proactive than reactive because um, in years in other areas that we've seen severe tar spot, a good kind of indicator that early disease of uh, gray leaf spot and stuff before tassel showing up because that's a similar conducive environment to what tar spot likes. So we can use some other indicators as a canary in the coal mine type of deal to help us guide that. And that's where your scouting program that you guys offer is a real big advantage when it comes to, to tar spot. Yeah. yeah, I think I think what you said is really critical, Jared. Is and that was something I was going to bring up. Is you know we think about gray leaf spot because that's a disease we've had around before. I mean, we all know that a lot of times those plants are infected before we see those lesions. The late latency period is really critical, and so the same aspect here. And so when we're thinking about our fungicides, especially our premium fungicides that we're using, um, there's two. Di- you know, we have different modes of action in them for a reason, and they're bringing different aspects of it. You know, we have. One of those modes of actions, you know, a lot of times we can say is kind of a curative. So the lesions that are there, it's going to try to take care of those spores that are there and take care of it. But the other type of mode of action is a preventative, right? And so it's the same thing when we're thinking about our residual herbicides. We're putting it on because we're trying to prevent any more spores growing. And so, you know, understanding the latency period of that for gray leaf spot, tar spot, obviously, as it's coming in too, is that's that's why the timing mechanism is so critical. And that's why a lot of our timings are that VT our one time frame we know because yeah we may have some lesions that are starting to come on the bottom but we're stamping those out then but then we're protecting ourselves out trying to get through that R2 R3 time frame where it's really critical for that plant as it's growing and stuff and so if you wait too long it's one of these things where 
you know, a lot of times we, we're reactive, right? And so we wait, we see tar spot, or we see gray leaf spot. Oh, it's starting to really take over the plant, but we're going to spray. Well, at that point, our, the curative piece of the fungicide is not going to do a good enough job, right? And so we're, we're behind the eight ball yeah. at that point. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought up that word. I'm always trying to caution everybody to be careful with that, that when we're, uh, sometimes there's a misconception when we hear that when growers hear that word curative that if you, it's going to just erase those lesions that's right. on there that that's not the case that um, when we're talking about curative it's we're looking talking at a microscopic level before you see a lesion we have some activity there yep. um, so so it's still it's not going to get rid of any any damage to that damaged tissues it's done yes. um, so. And back on your timing, I think one other key thing you said that I want to highlight here is premium residuals. And going back to, you can be on the front side if you pick the right product, right? There's a lot of great residual products now. And it, we're not dealing with fungicides we had 20 years ago, right? We're Absolutely. building better fungicides and the ones that last longer do better on tar spot because of that. We can time it and let that protective layer hold us. And so again, I've heard it several times, premium fungicides matter when it comes to tar spot. So just don't pick anything off the shelf. You know, go talk to your your folks here at MFA on which ones you guys think fit best. But I'm going to tell you, in the trials, the ones that have longer residual often float to the top in results. Okay. Yeah. I figured that's something that other states or somebody has looked at that had more of a kind of an inoculum than what than what we've had around here. So um, other ways that we can kind of combat the disease if we maybe know we have it in there. Uh, let's, let's talk a little bit about variety selection. I assume that some varieties are more susceptible than others. This probably applies more to other states, but kind of what have they what have they found and, and what's their thought process there? So I guess initially we found that there are differences in hybrid sensitivity to tar spot. And I'm a little cautious here because BSF doesn't sell corn seed and I don't want to throw any rocks. <laughs> yeah. But at the same time, we do know that there's differences. And some of that is still being sorted out. And as you talk to corn breeders, you know, that's a challenge they're going to have to face because that's what growers are going to want to know. I'll caution that I don't know if it's going to be just as easy as saying this one's tar spot tolerant and this one's not because hybrids change through so fast. And we've seen tar spot not be, you know, terrible every year, right? We can see the, the lesions every year, but the years that it's really bad enough to rate maybe comes around every two to five. You know, we're still learning about that. So I throw a little caution on that um, because I don't know that I don't put a lot of pressure on our corn breeders because I don't know if they're going to provide a good answer. But it is a key element. We do know that there's hybrid differences and the other thing I'll say is, as we were talking about earlier, tar spot really likes to join on to other issues, whether that's gray leaf spot or even crown rots. We've seen hybrids that are worse with crown rot scores. Really, that weakness that that plant experiences in wet soils exasperates on how well it can defend itself, and then therefore the tar spot comes in worse. And so all that comes back to maybe choosing hybrids that are maybe more overall vigorous on all the disease ratings, maybe a good indicator initially. And as the breeders get further down the road, maybe they'll be able to guide us a little better. Yeah, and I, uh, I think you, you touched on it, on it, Jared, but uh, it, that's a good point that um, if if we're testing hybrids, for instance, uh, you know, Cameron, you've dealt with dealt with our replicated trials for for years. If there's no tar spot where that where that trial is, we can't, you know, we can't. Put a rating on all those hybrids we have out there for tar spot. So, um, and that that is a, a challenge when we do have a new disease. It just kind of I just kind of years ago I I spent uh, spent some time in Illinois and we had a very bad outbreak of white mold. I believe it was in two thousand nine, and um, 
it, it, it had just never had been severe that far south and there weren't any weren't any variety ratings for it but it sure stuck out what varieties um it hit hit worse but you sometimes you don't know until that disease is is um being tested in an air or in any in a certain area with with all these different varieties yeah what else um you know kind of what other factors can have can have an impact on on the crops you know kind of resistance to the disease i, I assume that's kind of what it's exhibiting so it's one of the things I've been talking about a lot of BSF is keeping your plant healthy, right? We, we talked a lot earlier, I'm, we're being repetitive at this point, but sure. using the plant, plant's natural defenses. So if you can enable that plant's natural defenses to last as long as it can up to that tassel timing, when we know it's going to switch its gears to reproduction, the better off you're going to be. And so I, I always say keep the plant green and healthy. And a great example of that has been fertilizer. If you guys put the you know right rates of nitrogen, potassium, you know, phosphorus on, you keep that plant healthy and even top dress nitrogen at the right time. And if we've had a wet spring and we're, we're suffering for that, getting that plant green again and keeping those natural defenses up makes a huge difference because it's able to naturally protect itself against tar spot before we need to get that fungicide on. It, it goes back to a lot of the management practices that we're already recommending, just a, a sound fertility program um, using that variable rate technology. And then, um, you know, with our NutriCorrect program, and then also our NutriCrack in program on the top, top dress piece, um, getting getting that top dress nitrogen put on at the right time. If yeah, we want to, we'd mentioned that tar spot um, does like um, unhealth to infect unhealthy tissue. So if we can keep that uh, corn plant as green as we can for as long as we can in the season, uh, we're going to be better off. Guys, what what parts of tar spot did we miss? I feel like we. We covered it pretty pretty well, um, but you guys know it certainly a lot better than I do. So so tell me what we're missing. Uh, I guess uh, oh well, one thing we we haven't touched on yet is what uh, how severe it gets based on what uh, what growth stage the corn plants in. So if we're in the case in where we found it in Missouri this year, our corn was. Um, at half milk line or farther, farther along. At half milk line, about 90% of our grain fill is complete. And when we start seeing lesions at that time, it's probably not going to be uh, much of a yield robber, if any. Uh, but when we hit the dent stage, I think we're about 40, 40% um, of our grain fills done. So even up to early dent stage, if we lose a lot of leaf tissue and get some early plant death, we can uh, we can still see some uh, some yield uh, decreases there, grain quality issues. Um, you know when we it, even in even in the dense stage when we see an early frost, we can still see that reduction in test weight, grain quality, and then that translates to yield. So it can be um, pretty devastating up up to the up to you know those early the early part of that dense stage, and even the earlier than that the worse shape we're in. So um, time the timing that that disease hits is going to be pretty important on how it's going to affect that corn crop. Okay. And it goes also just to build on that to your planting date. I mean, some of this runs on a calendar cycle to some extent, right? We have to get the right weather factors. And so really the June and early July weather we get helps develop, helps determine how much of this inoculus being developed. So later planted corn is often more susceptible, which also, back to your point, you may have an early planted field that's now at R5, early R6, almost R6, finally seeing the disease. That's not something you treat because you're not going to see any benefit on that. But 
maybe the corn that was planted in that same area a month later, that is something now you need to address because now that could be potentially yield robbing in a detrimental way. Um, you know, like I said, you guys can all hear the war stories from Illinois, Wisconsin, but it's not uncommon to hear 50 and 100 bushel swings on untreated versus treated with a fungicide because of how aggressive this disease is and then when it infects. Yeah. I think that's an important thing to note because, you know, we may see yield impacts or we may, you know, we can sit around and, and for the past 10 years, I feel like argue about ROI on fungicides, but to, I mean, to my knowledge, we've not had something sitting around before that we're talking 50 or 100 bushel swings. I mean, that that is a big deal. I would agree. I mean, occasionally you see it with southern rust. That would maybe yeah. be the next closest thing we've right. seen. But right. the, the difference between that one, which is going to continue to blow in, once we get tar spot, it, I, I guess my closing comment would be when we start to see tar spot, it's going to change our approach. Or it should, in our growers' minds and in our retail uh, approach to managing crops, should change how we do this because we have to assume it's going to happen every year if the weather if the weather's right. Now, right now we're not there, but once the inoculant gets here, it should change our mentality about how we protect this crop. And that's a whole acre approach, right? Fertilizer, right seed, right fungicide at the right time. And you do all that, um, you know, tar spot shouldn't be a concern to you, but it may change our mentality versus where we've been. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was that's exactly what I was going to say to wrap up, Jared, is, you know, this is, a new disease coming for us. And so we already have, we already have all these other aspects that we, you know, we plan for and we've got an approach for, but we need to be able to adjust and start being proactive for this. And, you know, we're looking at the spread. If you start looking at the feather pattern of, as they described, how's the disease coming, it is coming, um, especially for Northern Missouri. We'll see how far, far South it goes, depending on weather patterns and stuff, but it's going to be something that we have to be proactive of and just start prepping for and making sure we have a plan of action, um, to be able to combat, especially in a year, if you know if you're fighting southern rust and tar spot at the same time, I mean that could be that could be it's a double whammy, right? Yeah, they play off each other. Yeah, it'd be pretty rough. So, and yeah, I'd, and to close, I'd just I'd say uh, stay tuned. Um, if you're in the Crop Track program, you've got access to our our newsletter that all all of our district agronomists contribute to, so you'll be up to speed on what we're finding out there and including tar spot, what's going on with it uh, next season. So um, yeah, stay, stay tuned and we will do our best to keep everybody informed. Gentlemen, thank you very much for taking the time to, yeah, to come you. in this morning and, and sit down and, and kind of walk through this. I, I think it's going to be new to everybody and I, you know, everybody's kind of thirsty for information. So appreciate, appreciate Kevin and Jerry, appreciate you guys taking the time to, to come in this morning. Glad to be here. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks, everybody, for taking the time to listen as well, and we'll talk to you next episode. Thanks for listening to Made for Agriculture. Email comments and questions to podcast at mfa-inc.com.